city of San Francisco is currently going through a many call an economic boom, and we've seen a major shift in racial and income demographics. With the influx of high-earning residents and greater parent choice, some distinct rifts and complications have emerged with the already issue-ridden public school district. San Francisco has always been pricey, but in the last 10, five years maybe, it has become unaffordable, unreasonable, and we were not prepared. We can't afford a home here. We're in a one-bedroom apartment. Min Im, a teacher, shares that one-bedroom apartment with her husband and two children. Like many teachers in San Francisco, moving to a larger home is not economically possible. A new survey says the Bay Area has three of the top five most expensive cities in the country for living comfortably. Another study shows people who moved to San Francisco between 2010 and 2016 made almost $19,000 per year more than existing residents. People are leaving all the time, and I'm considering moving out of the city right now to find something more affordable. The average teacher salary in San Francisco after implementing Proposition G is $82,000 a year. And it's not uncommon for them to spend 50, even 75% of their salary on rent. From the rise of segregation, a notable achievement gap to a teacher housing crisis, the reality of many students and educators in San Francisco Unified contradict the headlines highlighting new affluence. On this episode, we speak with school board commissioner and the youngest elected official in town, Gabriela Lopez, about the fault lines in the classrooms of this gentrified city and what can be done for the youth caught in the tremor. I'm Jidak Bhakta with Mission Housing, and welcome to San Francisco in Flux. We are recording from right here in the Mission Housing offices off of 16th and Valencia. And Commissioner Gabriela Lopez is joining us. Thank you. Before hey. we get into our discussion, some housekeeping. Quick reminder, San Francisco Influx podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button. We would greatly appreciate it. Hi, thanks for coming in. Hi. It's great to have you. Thank you for coming on San Francisco Influx. So jumping right into it. We just had an election. Yeah, no break or anything. Just get right into no it. Break. Huh? We got to get right into <laughs> it. Uh, what are your thoughts on the election? Um, and what happened? Well, I'm. I've actually. I feel really, really excited as far as the props. All of them, in my opinion, were successful. Um, it really showed kind of where we are as far as the city and the movement behind it. Of course, my colleague Jenny won. That's what we needed to maintain um, the work that's happening with the board right now. So that that was no surprise. I, I'll say I, I didn't even take the other candidates seriously. But it's always, um, you know, this is in preparation for the upcoming election, which is going to be crazy mm-hmm. as far as um, the people who are going to come out and run. Um, so all in all, I was excited as far as education and where we are with Prop A, Prop E, um, Jenny, Prop C is cool too. So and Jenny being Jenny Lamb, Jenny Lamb. who just won her school board. Seat yes, officially. Well. Officially, so she will be your colleague. Um, you spoke about Prop E. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about Prop E and the issue? 
So, so obviously there's a housing crisis and there are a number of there, you know, there's a number that we're trying to hit in affordable housing that the city is just not reaching. So we're doing a lot of that work currently on the board with the, the process that we have at Francisco Key, um, which is really, you know, a a handful of units. It's about a hundred units. We have 6,000 educators. So, um, there's an, a bigger push from the board, from the union, from um, community housing organizations that really want to speak on this issue. And not even to say that teachers want to live in dorm-style houses, but to call out the fact that we're, we're living off of slim wages in a city that just is, it's excruciating to do this work and to, to survive um, and then you add a layer of of housing that just, you know, having all that the, that personal stuff to carry and then do the work that we're set to do is it's um it's often traumatic. So um, I I see the city is is engaging more. They a lot of people prioritize teachers and and say that we support teachers, but this is one way of really showing it. So mm-hmm. so there's Prop E, you know, it passed. It's going to give housing to teachers, and Prop A is, is the bond that's going to set that in $600 motion. $600 million, yeah. Um, so there was a previous bond passed, which is what kind of got us with the current housing that we have. Um, that bond was in 2015. So we can kind of see that um, coming to fruition, and this is uh, another step in addressing that. Yeah, you know, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to jump right into the election was because of Proposition E and Proposition A, right? You know, you coming from the educator education background, we are an affordable housing developer, right? It seems as if, you know, in terms of these two issues, in terms of, you know, education, teacher affordability, and general affordable housing are kind of coming together a lot. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of you know, there's been a lot of innovation and ideas to figure out a way to to house teachers and educators in this city, right? Um, you know, like a lot of our subsidies don't cover teachers, right? Teachers fall into an income bracket that kind of leaves them in a in a very precarious position, mm-hmm. um, where you know they don't qualify for a lot of subsidized housing and they don't make nearly enough to afford the market rate housing. Right. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you can share a little bit about what are the, some of the struggles teachers are going through, some of them paying 50 to 70 percent of their income in housing. Right. And um, so I, I should mention that my background is in teaching. I was a former classroom teacher at Flint Elementary in the district before I got elected and before I had to resign. But I can certainly share my experience, which is please do is appropriate. And I know my, a lot of my colleagues um, can relate, but you know, uh, the sat, the income that I got after taxes was about 3,200 a month. And I, I am fortunate to be in, in the housing that I have. And, and this is actually another thing that I think we need to discuss is it's really a case by case on a case by case, um, sort of process because, Every, every educator has a different situation, has different income, has different supports. Um, for me, I was, you know, I landed in this this apartment close to transportation down the street from where I work. That's rent control. And, and the owner of the property said they only wanted to 
uh, open it up for teachers. So I landed in this position where I was fortunate to find someone who wasn't going to skyrocket. That is quite a rare president's <laughs> listing there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, and that's because of the connections that I had with my union. You know, it's it's people sharing with people. Um, so just thinking about the fact that on top of that, I still have loans and I still have debt and my loans are because I pursued education. Exactly. And, um, I needed to survive while I was going to school and, and working at restaurants. Meanwhile, um, pursuing my degree was not enough to survive. And, and that's why I am where I am. Um, so it's, it's, affecting our livelihood and then you add on all of the pressures that we're supposed to endure as educators with um and and not feeling valued there's this whole piece of of saying like you know we can't just throw money at the problem because there are a lot of initiatives that the the city is doing as far as paying teachers more depending on where they are in our educational system because some schools have more needs than others and and those teachers should be getting paid more for that that work, you know, that um, just kind of to, to lift them up. And some would argue that that's just like, you're just kind of putting on a bandaid. But honestly, you know, from the people that I've talked to, and from what I know, it's just, it's just sharing, like, we want you to be successful, and we value your time and your dedication. And this is one form of, of and, doing that. And basically your livelihood, yeah. and the ability of your livelihood to not be burdened by rent and then that burdens food and everything else exactly and 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 then you know that that is a part of the consistency that needs to be seen in these schools anyway so you you invest in that individual like i said you take it case by case you invest in the person like share that they're seen and that they're valued and they'll want to return to this environment that that values them that is open to them because they've built this community and that helps the students that helps the staff that helps the families it's all in all something that you're you're sharing for one person but there's so many other outcomes that are positive and there is no for me there's no other argument that 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 works how you measure it is the problem and that's the problem that the district is having because we don't measure effectiveness. We pass policy and we have all, these, all of these great ideas and, and we um, say and use all this rich language that shows, oh, we really care about our students. But measuring it and, and implementing it is a whole other thing. Um, and that could very easily happen with, with this sort of we're going to pay teachers more. But how does that work? Are we going to do it again next year? You know, who's measuring it? Is that even a plan? Because I haven't heard it. Um, no one knows. And if you want to get into that, that's a whole other discussion that um, the people who are deciding don't really think about because they're not in the classrooms. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, at, once it gets to that level, you know, words like equity oftentimes become hollowed out mm-hmm. just Social so they justice, can use them. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like we can use it as long as we don't actually put any weight mm-hmm. behind it or weight in it. Um, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, and it's. It's the the, you know, the issue of student debt is a big issue. The issue of you know te- you know teachers coming in where you know it's one thing where you don't have a high enough salary, but the only cost isn't just rent. It's it's a lot of costs that people have to endure 
to become teachers. Yeah, right? you, like, you know, you mentioned food, you mentioned transportation. Many educators don't even live in San Francisco. They're coming from across the bay. When I was working in Hayward, it cost me over $500 a month just to travel. That's with gas and with toll. And BART is $18 every single day. It, it's not cheap to to come to get around. It's not cheap to ride public transit. No, no, it's not. Contrary to a lot of uh, people's opinions. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and so this whole, um, this whole push, you know, we're, we're talking about housing, but there are all of these other things that are connected. And we know that we know that transportation is an issue, and we should be providing free muni for teachers, along with students, which is what we have now. And a lot of people don't even know about it. Um, You know, I, I, I kind of want to get into it, but you had brought up the next election, mm-hmm. uh, the one in 2020. Um, there, you know, there, there could be a pretty big shakeup on the school board, um, or not, depending on what could happen. Um, what are you, what are you hearing? What were you alluding to with, with, with next year's election? So I've, you know, we won our election and by we, I mean me and my colleague, um, Commissioner Collins, Commissioner Moliga, um, and then Jenny was appointed. So it was majority new, it was a majority new board, and this new board, along with the three who have already been on it and who have experience being on the board, have been probably the most not only diverse, but just active, dedicated group of people that this board has ever seen, in my opinion, and from what I've heard. Um, so when you start to make change and call things out and ask questions that people aren't used to, um, and aren't prepared for, there's a tension that builds to the point where they feel attacked. And that's what's happening. Um, and, you know, I, I don't scale back because I, I didn't do all of this work to not do that on the board. So I asked those questions. I, I push that. I, I push those boundaries. I don't focus on the relationships that I have or don't have with the people who are deciding for our classrooms because that's not my job. That's not why I was elected. And and from what I know, that's what I'm speaking about. So people, are, so I bring that up because people have been very, um, very, uh, I want to say a word bigger than angry, but just kind of not, not, not really happy with who, who they have to deal with. They have to deal with this, and that's where we are. Um, so many are, are making movements to get us off the board. You know, I've already been threatened to be recalled. Um, and that's a whole other, Well, that was a whole other issue. It's really me and my uh, colleague, Commissioner Collins, um, had, I've, have been told that there was this sort of push for that. It was around the mural at the time. But you can really think about well, at that time, we all voted for it. So why are they singling out the women of color? And that's not an, that's not the only experience where me and her have been called out. So there's so there's that. It's like not only are we making these demands, it's that we are making these demands. Like before I was when I was running, it was a question of my age. It was a question of my background. I'm this young woman like and then we have Allison, who's an African-American woman who definitely is not holding back. Uh, we both were in the classroom, so we don't really have time to waste, right? Um, so with that, there's four seats that will be coming up in the 2020 election, and a number of people who are pissed off enough to get their their sort of their candidates 
up to to run and challenge that. Now, I'm, my seat is safe for at least three years, um, but it it could shake it up if it, if say every single person that won was new. Um, we know that we know people who are running again. Of course, Jenny, she just won. Mark Sanchez is is committing, um, but the other two are not. We're not really sure, so that leaves an opportunity for there to be voices that don't really agree with what we where we are and um could just kind of fuck up the process not to say that even if those two people went and they were just completely against where i stand um that would change anything because you need four votes for whatever you want but um i the the core and the dynamic that we have right now is really working and to have that change is just gonna it's just gonna mess with things a little bit Mm -hmm. Do you do you think it's important for people who have your background, your experience, um, being a woman of color, but then also being in the classroom and, you know, having the experience of what many students in the in the in the district face for, from your life? Is that important to have on the board of education level? Absolutely. I think. Um, if anything, the, the most that I push in my role are those narratives. And the reason why I went into education in the first place was because I didn't have any of that in my schooling. You know, this profession is majority white women. None of them spoke my language, so they couldn't communicate with my parents, which left me with a lot of that work. Um, and, and I was just seeing how me and my peers were treated because of who we were really, really showed me where we are socially as like an eight-year-old. So I I was even thinking like the reason why I went to college was because I needed a degree to be a teacher. That's why I pursued it. And that's what I was taught. But I was also taught within this system that has all of these ideas that are circulating, right? So I grew up in that. I grew up with all those biases and with all that, um, that the underlying uh, way of operating that's against the people who I represent, who I am. Um, so I, even now I push it so much because we need to understand that those, our background is valuable and those narratives are important. Indeed. Yeah. Um, you know, I I can definitely say being a product of SF public schools myself, (laughs) um, uh, I definitely related to the teachers who I can kind of see a bit of myself in. And for the, you know, those who can also kind of relate to the life experiences of, you know, poor kids of color in the city, um, growing up in extremely tough situations. Um, but, you know, to, to go back to next year's election, mm-hmm. you know, San Francisco has a has a has a new and I would say unique method of, of electing Board of Education members. Now, you know, in terms of access, we call it non-citizen voting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hoping you can take take a little bit of time to explain what that is for our listeners. Um, yeah, please. So uh, Prop N is is what you're referring to, and that allows... That was passed in 2016? Yeah. Yeah. And that allows for families in the school district who have children um, the ability to vote for people who are running for Board of Education. And so it's... It, Regardless of documentation status. Right, right. And I, and I know that... There's many efforts that push for getting that information out, giving them support to go through that process. But um, even in the election that that I had that um, was recently in last year election, 
there were maybe a handful of people who participated because of the threats and we're just where we are as far as um, feeling safe in in America, right? Um, so especially now, yeah. And I mean, it's just another example of how we're stripping people of their rights, you know. And there are these efforts behind um, from the city, but all of these other messages messages that just make it increasingly difficult to trust these systems. Um, well, what I will say is now that I, I've already I've always engaged with um, with families um, who are immigrants and who live in San Francisco and whose children I serve. Um, and I, I actually joined um, a parent of mine who had never voted before in her life. And this was her first opportunity. Um, so it was really it was really that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that when you see it, you know why we're doing it. Right. Um, but again, these people aren't doing that. They're not accompanying families. They're not seeing what that means to my students and their children. Um, so because I'm on the board now and I'm still engaging with families in the way that I did before, except I have this extra layer of, of um, access as a commissioner, they also have access to that. Everything that I do, I translate. And um, I've participated. I've seen yeah. on, on, on your Instagram post. Yeah, I Every know. single Lopez for Schools posting um, is also in Spanish. It's yeah. Dope. And uh, one, one thing that, you know, I the first person ever to be sworn in in Spanish as well. So That's you? That was me. Nice. Yeah. Props. Um, <laughs> you know, my parents were there. I wanted them to to understand that but it's you know steps like that that help people feel connected and let them know that they have the ability and they have the rights and they're the ones who should be choosing and deciding they have that power parents have so much power over all of us and and we as citizens have that power as well over who we're electing um so in doing all of this work it's only been a year, but people have just been more and more dedicated to what we're doing. You know, this this Latinx resolution that we've been working on since the since April has really fired up people as well. And and we're getting parents coming and making public comment, which is also um, not an easy thing to do. Um, but because of the meetings we hold on the side, like I've had I've held community meetings organized by parents. I've I'm invited organized by them from like 150 to 200 people. Um, who would just want to know what's going on and get updated. And they can do that because we have that relationship. Um, because I have the background, because I speak the language, because I was in the system and I was a teacher. Um, so now I'm seeing this this rise and this sort of, if it means that people like me stay on the board, then I will vote. I've had people say that. I've heard, um, I've had people share that with me, despite the fear that comes along with going through that process. Um, so it's really upon us to make it as easy as possible and as comfortable as possible and ensuring that they're safe um, and reminding them that that they have the ability and the power to do that. Word, word. Um, you know, I, I definitely want to get to that Latinx resolution later on um, in the show. Uh, but I kind of want to stick with the non-citizen voting piece. Um, you know, there are a lot of fears in the community for people who are not documented, people who may be going through, you know, um, uh, immigration proceedings, who have kids in SFUSD, who maybe in this time in America don't want to give up their information to the government mm-hmm. um, out of safety from the, for, for themselves. Um, are those fears justified? And what is the city doing to ensure that, that those fears 
are just that. They're not actually rooted in truth and maybe rooted in, in, in something that's a larger American narrative coming out of Washington right now as opposed to how San Francisco, you know, both the city and the government but also city as the people wants to welcome folks who, you know, who the federal government might not be um, as welcoming to. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually think as far as the city, I mean, they've done whatever they can. I don't think they've done enough. I don't think, in fact, the outreach was pretty poor. And it took a lot of or- outside organizations to to develop these workshops to share the information to ensure the safety of, of it. Let me guess: low-paid nonprofit workers doing the work <laughs> that the city government should be doing. Exactly, and I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> you have some feelings, I see. Um, but hey, I'm a nonprofit worker too. No, how funny. Okay, I think it's um, yeah, the city isn't doing enough, right? To to really and also make the information accessible and easy to understand. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. that that goes with it too. All of these forms are not they're they're either inaccessible or just intimidating in general. Um, and unless you have someone who's guiding you through it, which is a lot of these nonprofit workers who are dedicating their time and their lives to making sure that people have this information, then people aren't going. That's one more reason why they don't want to participate. Why would they? Why would they trust that? Um, <clears throat> so it's it's really, you know, even in in candidates and thinking about my my run in the future, how much am I going to dedicate to that work? You know, like if there's all this, there's always talk about fundraising and, you know, how much of that is with is um, that goes towards voter registration or or outreach or sharing with people that you have this right. I, I talked to a lot of the parents in my school who didn't even know that this proposition passed in 2016. Wow. So there's so there's that, too. It's it's um, sharing information and the outreach. We're, do, we're making all of these decisions and the people who are affected don't even know about it. Who is it really for then? Yeah. yeah. Is, is, it, is it just, um, what do they call it, virtue signaling, mm-hmm. right? Or is it actually, like, are you really trying to make concrete changes in people's lives? Exactly. Right? And that, that, I mean, that's been a challenge for this city for a long time. It is. It is because it's, it means you have to go out and talk to people and you have to build those relationships and you have to make and ensure that people know where, you know, how, how important their voice is. Um, and in order to do that, you've got to go out and do the work, not just say that you're doing, that this is what you care about. And, and the city does a lot of that. And so does the district. Uh, is it important for non-citizens to vote in, in their school board election? Like, like, what's the incentive for them to take the risk whether it's founded or not, you know, if in, if, it, if in someone's eyes it's a risk, then it's a risk. Mm-hmm. Um, then why is it important for them, you know, as, as you said, certain people have told you that e- e- even though they might have some fear, they want to vote for you to make sure someone like you remains on the board. So, like, outside of that reason, outside of voting for you, why is it important for, for, for non-citizens um, uh to vote in their local school board election. So I think above all, it's important for people to know what we do. As school board commissioners, we choose everything that students deal with, that students are going to go through. 
down, you know, what they're learning down to what they're eating, who is teaching them, how they're teaching them. All of that goes through us through a vote. And then we can decide and and craft policy that can shift that, that can change that, that can take out those reports, whatever it is that we know as educators really don't support our work. It, it comes through the board. Um, so as soon as we can share with people the importance of this role and of our of our vote and of our voice, then it'll kind of elevate the reason why they need to be involved. Because um, you can get someone that has very different ideas of where we need to be as far as education um, that's rooted in something that really is not going to be helpful for our students. And the parents know that and the teachers know that. But whoever, you know, person who's running yeah. for... Yeah, and, who, and whoever's pulling their puppet strings. Yeah, exactly. Whoever's, who's putting the funding behind, exactly, behind their campaign. Exactly, and you can see that in Oakland and you can see that in L.A. as far as pushing candidates that will, will send the message that will, you know, support a whole other system that doesn't really care about kids um, can easily happen here. We're very, very lucky in San Francisco to to have a team of people who stand by where they stand and who are going to be calling people out. Um, but as soon as we're not doing that anymore, you got to you got to take us out. And in order to do that, you have to vote. Um, so I, you know, I've seen parents in action. They're the most hardworking, dedicated people ever you know i think of my parents i think of of everything that they've done everything that they do for their kids um and and i i've been able to do my job because of their support um so to not include them is is um is damaging definitely definitely um you know i it's you thank you for that uh for sure you definitely you know you you brought up students kids and making sure you know the you know that parents need to be involved to have to have a say that their students um and well the 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 needs of their kids are being you know are putting put first um i kind of want to uh shift a little bit and talk about something that's kind of shaken up i think sfusd recently um or maybe for the past few years in its segregation in our schools Mm -hmm. you know segregation isn't usually a word used to describe San Francisco, yet many major publications, New York Times, LA Times, The Chronicle, and at least one major report, has they've used some start language to describe the demographics inside SF Unified Schools. Um, you know, how did we get here? And, you know, what are you and your fellow members doing about it, right? Because it's 2019 in San Francisco, and we should be, you know, with all the virtue signaling we do, it should not be a word that's uttered as a possibility. Yeah. And then to read about it being a reality, even for me, you know, I going to public schools here, we had a lot of problems, but we still didn't hear about increasing segregation. And now, you know, I, we, I know some of it is an issue because of, you know, parent choice and I'll let you kind of get, I'll get, I'll let you get into yeah. that <laughs> a little bit. Um, but you know, like, like how did we get here and how, how are we going to get out of it? Yeah. And so that that was one thing that I was going to bring up. But essentially, the city has never been more is more segregated than when it was law. So I think that kind of. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so saying that is is kind of where people need to see where we are. It's the truth. Yeah. And um, 
And that does have to do with with choice. I think the argument has always been difficult because parents need to be able to decide what they want for their kids. They want the best things for their kids. And we understand that. But ultimately, um, the people who are participating are people who have means and people who have access before you even go through the process. So, you know, you have to understand that there's this entire assignment system that is really heavy in um, in participation in order for you to even get involved before you you apply, which is already a lengthy process before you have to come into the physically come into the district to apply you have to do all of the research that goes behind what school you even want your kid to go to. The people who can do that have access to transportation. They have the money to take the days off to go to schools. They they have the ability to do research beforehand, whether it be online or in person. And so it requires a lot of movement for a really important choice, which takes out the number of people who, who just don't even have those abilities and won't go through that. And they kind of land where they land. Um, which is where we are as a city and, and where the schools are. Then you get into, so those who are participating, essentially, they're going to choose whatever school they know is best. What I have a problem with is being in the schools, being at a school that was high need, that was, you know, that has a reputation of being a not so good school in San Francisco. It was full of dedicated, long-time teachers, like um, people who, who went above and beyond, who, who the projects that, that, I have, that I've seen there were just like, this is the kind of work that should be highlighted. And what we're not doing well is highlighting that. So it's, there's this, this sort of whether we want to, like, I don't, I don't like saying this, but we have to sort of sell the schools, right? We're not doing a good job in selling them, in, in sharing what they offer, what programs they have, what languages they have, all of that that kind of heightens people's interests in order to um, increase the diversity at our schools. There's that piece. But then there's also the piece where white families just don't want to go to schools where black and brown kids are. And and that's a reality. And that's what they're doing. And that's what they're choosing. It It's in their right. You know, we can't do you. I'm not a parent, but I'm assuming like you're going to do whatever it takes to ensure that your kid has the best experience in their lives. Um, and, because of our reputation and where we are, that's the choices that are being made. And it's landed us in the situation that unless we, in my opinion, strip the system, we won't get out of. Um, so those conversations are happening more and more often this year. Um, the, at the beginning of the school year, it was the the chair of the committee, which is Commissioner Norton, has now sort of pushed further this consistent meeting so that we address all of these all of these issues and what we want to prioritize and where we want to land and I've uh, I'm not on that committee so the board you know has seven committees that meet once a month and we're all on a handful of them but we can show up to whichever ones we want and we've all been showing up the full board has been showing up which is also a rare thing because this is the hot topic even when we were running everybody was like what are you going to do about the assignment system um, and I just think back to the ideas that I had and now that I'm in it, it's like, okay, there's a whole other reality to it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, are, well, are chartered and, in, and independent schools better at addressing these disparities than Not the public at school system? Not at all. And every single one that has come up, I'd say in the past 
three to four months, every month has been a different charter school who needs to be renewed, who has been denied by us. Um, but one of the things we bring up is is that comparison. Where are you and, and what is this diversity that you speak of? When we look at the numbers, we don't see that. You know, and then with charter schools, I mean, they're just so fear based. They target these these communities of people who just want the best for their kids and then end up siloing black and brown kids and using their stories as like we're helping them be better in their lives and creating this system that in the end is similar to ours. So they're kind of showing up and using it as a savior mentality, maybe you would say. Yeah, yeah. And and the ideas that they have, um, it, it's highlighting a lot of the things that, in my opinion and what I've expressed, aren't important. You know, it's all about like test scores and college and career preparedness and and reading levels. And while all of that is important, it's it's not. It's not where our my priorities are. That like I certainly am not looking at SPAC scores to see like how good students are doing in math and English because those tests are biased anyway, and they they don't actually help us in our practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the kind of thing that for an immigrant family, including my own, it's like, well, my kid's not doing well on this test. Like, let me go to a school that's saying we're going to pump them up, and all they're doing is really pressuring and adding all of that stress to to. 10 year olds you know and and having this whole um system that is dedicated to testing test taking and i for me it's just those skills aren't valuable no nor are they quite honestly the most transferable Mm -hmm. ones you know once we get into the workforce um uh kind of just to end you know end out this piece on segregation you know if uh, it's it's definitely great that a lot of the people on the board of education have prioritized this as an issue so should the public be expecting some some kind of package of solutions, policy packages, um, legislation that that's going to like directly affect this this issue um, head on um, uh, and, you know, to, 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 to try and reverse it as soon as possible? Yeah, that's a good question. It's actually something that you can help me with because um, the plans are creating these these community sort of meetings to get that input, you know, like what, how can we build a system that is inclusive, that is actually thoughtful in um, walking through people's processing all of this in their way. Um, And again, we could end up having meetings with people who have the means to participate and to come and who understand the language will come and then we'll only hear from them and we end up where we are. Um, or we can really, and we will, um, ensure that this is an opportunity for as many people, if everyone to weigh in, um, and, and share those ideas. Like this, this is no longer something that seven board members and some district support is going to solve. This is, this needs to be a citywide community, um, engagement. And, and again, yeah, like saying it, saying that, this could solve the segregation that we're seeing in our schools. And if we are saying like all of this research shows diversity in schools is really what matters and what's important as far as student success, it's a piece of it, then um, prioritizing that together is, is where we need to be. So those are the kind of the thoughts that we're having. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, excellent. Well, you know, I definitely can't wait to 
hear about and attend some of those community meetings, um, help organize if need be. Um, that, that's actually a good transition into something that we've been talking about for a long time. <laughs> I want to say since March. Let it's, me just it's, put it's, that it's, out there. It's definitely been a minute um, since, 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 since we started having this conversation. We almost were able to do it recently. But, you know, um, so on the mission housing end, one of the things we wanted to do was first of its kind host a Spanish language town hall on education issues featuring about three uh, three, three members from the Board of Education um, to come to one of our affordable housing sites in the mission to, to, to listen to and speak with and hear the stories of, of, of a lot of parents and a lot of students in their own native language, mm-hmm. you know, in, um, in with, 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 with our community folks, it's mostly going to be in Spanish, mm-hmm. right? So then to can almost kind of flip it. Usually when folks show up to meetings, they have to put headsets I on know. to hear in their I language. Know. In this case, if you don't speak Spanish, yes. you're going to have to put a headset on yes. myself included. Um, myself included. No, but I appreciate um, that. Yeah, and so you know that's something we want to do, and so be on the lookout. We we will be doing it in the new year, hundred um, percent. And I was hoping you know you can you, you maybe you can talk about you know um, like wh- like why it's important for people on the board of education to come out to the community, and why it's important linguistically for people to be able to express their truth in their own language, and then have the leaders get it interpreted for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one, that experience alone, it could, it, it means so much for people who are now on the, who will be on the reverse side of that. Right. Um, not to say that it's demeaning to not understand another language, but it's prioritizing where the people are. And for so long, it's always prioritizing the English language. Um, so we have the ability to do that now. I speak Spanish and I'm on the board. And so I can communicate what I know in the language that, that that's my first language that many of the people who you're serving and who I'm serving um, can understand. Um, so there's that. It's, it's important for board members to come out because we need to we're the plug to what's going on in the system that they're navigating every single day. Not even me. I'm not a teacher anymore, and I don't have students or I don't have children in the, the education system, so I don't have that experience anymore. But I am making these choices. If I'm not talking directly to them, then what am I doing? And and for a long time, that is, I, I think as a city and as a society, we create people's Um, way of being in these positions we highlight and we elevate politicians and we kind of like bow down and do everything to kind of um, create this 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 person right Um, and then it, it becomes really difficult to get in touch with them or to contact them or to speak to them directly and while of course you know the numbers increase depending on your role um you should still be making as many efforts as possible to get out to the public, to the community, to talk about what's going on. Um, I I wanted, and I've been encouraging my colleagues to do it more because it has felt, and I've been saying this a little, it has felt like a lot of that work has been put on me. And I absolutely have the ability to do that. And I, I will never not do that. That's why I'm here. But does it make you feel tokenized? <laughs> no, um, Todd. Not... Not not tokenized. No. No. Because um who who um organizes this are like really down like people who just wanna know. Like they're they're 
the families like and they're people who just want to be connected and who feel like they finally can be because they can access me literally like people come to mnc to talk about to like say hi oh, or to sure. connect yeah. or like whatever it is 100%. because they know. stop you on the street <laughs> and bring that stuff up exactly right? and 24 7 commissioner in the mission yes and you know I, I was actually thinking about this the other day is um i i I absolutely chose this. I ran for this. So whenever I feel exhausted, not even the, I'll say no to, to feeling tokenized, but I will say that I feel burdened sometimes with um, the inability to just pause, right? But then I have to remind myself, like, this is why I'm here. And when I do this work, then it's less me by myself taking it on because I have all of these people who have my back. I have these people who are saying, I'm going to vote for you in the future, Mm -hmm. despite the fear, because you're doing this work. Mm -hmm. But I also need my colleagues to step up and do the same thing. Um, And they have. And the reason why the board is doing so well is because we're all experts in different areas. Um, And bringing that all together really um, enhances our push and um, the messaging that we give to the district. So I can speak on my experiences as a classroom. Commissioner Moliga can speak on his experiences like in um, in just behavioral and therapy and, and all the, the stuff that he knows and everyone within their own field of expertise. Um, but I wouldn't be able to do his work with the community. I need him to do that and he yeah. needs to do that. And so anyway, we all, we all just, um, we should be doing that. And it's not easy. You know, this work isn't paid. No. So I also have to maintain a job. Yes. Yes. <laughs> while 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 doing the public service. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 No, but definitely, you know, um, we definitely appreciate like your willingness to 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 come up, you know, in in front of our residents, in front of parents who live in our buildings. Um, you know, with, with with quite honestly, without any guarantees from us of, you know, what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And then you also help helping us organize other board of education members to also come right and kind of step out of their comfort zone, put on a headset Mm -hmm. and to hear everything interpreted and to have their words interpreted. Mm -hmm. Right. And to have being face to face with somebody who might not speak your language, but is appealing to you to do better for their community. So that's, you know, for us, it's definitely really important. Um, We're we're we we are we are we are coming up on time soon. Um, no, there's. I have a lot of topics I want to talk to you about, from school safety yeah, to ESL challenges, teacher strikes across the U.S., late start times in California. Mm-hmm. But I do want to start to, you know, g- give a little plug on the Latinx resolution mm-hmm. that's going to be coming up. Yeah. Um, uh, if you if you can take some time to explain what it is, why it's important, and the the, the hearing that it's going to be heard at. And that when it's going to, when, when you all are um, uh, doing about that. Yeah. So this process um, came about because, again, organizations came together and they, I'll say they saw me as sort of beyond an ally, but somebody who can move this work forward that has been a long time coming, that has been needed for so long. Um, so we began the work in April and really my assistance was just kind of guiding, um, sharing the process and, and what I would be doing with it. But a lot of it was were these organizations who we met with and um, crafted the language with and, and really called out everything and everywhere we are within the district, within the Latino community and what where we need to be and what we need to see. 
Um, one thing that I, I want to ensure is known and is important is within the Latino community, there are so many issues that, that doesn't, that we need to ensure doesn't land on one thing, one, um, you know, like it's not one-sided. So immigration is an issue. Language is an issue. It's, it could be a generational thing. There are all of these things that are separate that really affects this community. So it's not just like, this is a Latino thing. It's like everything that we're doing that can support this community is also going to support different areas and different people from the -hmm. district. Um, And so I name that because there's been a lot of comparison with the African American initiative, which is kind of not based on, not based on, but is um, compared to, and, and we have to keep those things separate because those needs are different, even though what, where we do and what we're calling for can support other communities. Exactly. Yeah. Different, but still justified. Yeah. Right. Like every different community is going to have different needs mm-hmm. and it's up to the school board, the district, et cetera, to find ways to meet those needs. And, you know, in, in, instead of, you know, trying to create some hegemonic, very right, right. right to silo these um, these communities. Exactly. And so we are in, in the process where we are is, you know, you have your resolution and it goes to first reading. At, and at a regular board meeting, this happened September 24th. And what happens from there, there's not really a discussion until we get to the committee meetings. Like I said, there are seven of us, seven meeting, seven committees. Um, so this was kicked off to budget and it was kicked off to curriculum, which is generally where many of the resolutions go because you have to analyze how much it's going to cost and you have to analyze what it's going to look like. Um, so I had been sharing with people, there are these three important meetings coming up. One just took place. It was a budget last night. The next one is a curriculum committee meeting. And then the final regular board meeting, which is where we're going to vote on it. Um, so I, I'll talk about where we are in that process, given that we met last night. Um, and what they came up with was a rundown of looking at the resolution and the positions that it, that it calls for and the meetings and the professional development and the teachers that, that will be used as resources and all of that combined to create the, the sort of like the budget, right? Like this is where we think plus or minus how much it's going to cost. So it's a little, it was a, you know, it was a, a little under 2 million um, and then so when you go to these meetings, you have people make public comment and talk about their experience. Um, and I, you know, a parent who was there who came, she spoke in Spanish and she has a student at one of our high schools. But then she also has a child at Mission Neighborhood Centers, which is where I work. And I had my shirt on. It was just like really nice to be able to connect because yeah. she she sees me there and she sees me doing this work and she sees me speaking their language. And mm-hmm. it was actually the first time I've ever um, responded on the board in Spanish. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just because I wanted to talk to her and to yeah. them who came out, um, but also just keep the discussion going with my colleagues. Uh, but I, I I just remember feeling like, damn, I'm going to be really emotional mm-hmm. going through this process because these people are just, like, so tired. They're so tired of, of getting kicked around, and you can see that even in the process of this, this very resolution. So... Um, so in the budget is just kind of like, again, a replica of what they use for the African-American initiative is just like, that's not really where we are. 
um, as far as the positions needed for it. And plus, like, I don't want a half-time director. I want a full-time director. Like, this is because, like, oh, they entered. It's a full-time issue. Yeah, but because, you know, they're they're replicating what they've used in the past. That's how they entered it. It was like a part-time. This is what we did before. So we're going to try to get It's like, no, like, don't enter it trying to figure out how you're going to do it. Like, go in full-blown, you know. And um, what really this resolution is really doing is calling out, like I said, the policies that are already in place that has this really rich language that says we we support and love kids and are doing everything we can to make sure that they um, are successful and that they're able to survive. But in reality, that's not the case. Um, so when we were talking yesterday, it's like we can go through the budget and create all, the, all of these positions, but those positions already exist in the district. Whether you're utilizing them correctly or doing your job well is another question. And so the resolution is really calling that out. I don't want you to come and share with my colleagues that this is going to cost $2 million and it's really going to be hard to convince them to pass it because it's not about that. Why? Why We can't create this whole new system to solve a problem that has been existing far before this was ever a thing. This is, I mean, this is embedded in education. This yeah, is where I mean, honestly also the money's past due. Yeah. Regardless and, of what it costs. Exactly. This is a late fee payment. Exactly. For, for equity and justice in a system that wasn't built for equity and justice. Exactly. And, and that's what, what I've like seen and am now highlighting every time I speak on these things, like this is the foundation Again, like if I could just like begin an entirely new educational system and a process that is not embedded in racist ideas, then I would. And that's my plan. But within with this, like, of course, the money shouldn't be the question. It's not the question. But what we're calling out is the fact that it's not being done. So you can give us as much as you want, but if you're not utilizing and implementing it well and measuring what that's doing for our students, then we're going to be where we are. And I don't want to pass another policy to, to show like Commissioner Lopez did this thing and, you know, like she's really nope, supporting the Latino done. community. Yeah, yeah. Without going out and you know, this is going to be a prop end thing all over again. We did it, but then nobody knew about it. And mm-hmm. so we can we can have that happen again with this initiative. And so many, so many people are involved that it that just can't occur anymore because they're counting on this. And and like and now I'm on the line. If I if I push something and nothing comes of it, why would I even, why am I here? And it's not just this and this resolution. It's it's everything in general. It's all of the work that we're doing. Um, and I think a lot of people need to have that question with themselves in the work that they do, especially within education. If you're out here and you're hurting kids, then why are you here? You know, and that's hard for people to hear because you want to, you know, you want to keep teachers safe and their jobs safe. But if this isn't for you, then you know what are you doing? This is this is true. Um, what's the what? Uh, just before we end it out, what's the next date for the resolution? Oh, okay. Like, is there when is the opportunity for people to chime in, learn more about it, see yeah. you in action at the board? So here's um, my other frustration, and if you follow me on Instagram, you probably heard about this. But they canceled our curriculum committee meeting, which I'm the chair of. Um, I had to cancel it because veteran. It falls on the second Monday of every month, and I have met. Every single month, I don't cancel meetings. I don't think there's time to push topics. But um, we had to shift it to next Wednesday on the 13th. And then um, district 
district officials came with, we're not going to be here. Someone they're out of town or something. So they're not even able to present. I, you know, I was trying to get get to the board and make sure that it passes and goes through the process so that we don't lose momentum. But I need a staff person to present it. That's another one of these rules that I have to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I had to officially cancel it, which is very, very disappointing because, you know, someone was telling me I have 20 families who are going to come and like support this and speak on it. And that's so rare. Like it's, it's not easy to do that. I've been pushing childcare for three months to get, people to come to these meetings and we still haven't done it. So, um, so it's a lot to ask people. Now the next curriculum meeting is December 9th, which is a Monday. The final vote is December 10th and it's going to happen on the 10th, but to ask people to come two days in a row is a lot. Yeah. Especially um, in December in San Francisco. Exactly. To, and, yeah. To, 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 to the school board chamber. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, it's a, a 6 PM meeting, um, and so what, what I'm doing next week, because it's been canceled, is having something sort of informal here in the mission at five that I've been telling families to come and participate in. So it's like this informal um, information session update about the budget meeting and where we are so that people can still who wanted to come that night can still participate. It's going to happen here um, at 5 p.m. I, we still haven't figured out where it might even happen at MNC um, as far as the spaces. But then in the process, like I said, our next curriculum committee meeting is Monday, December 9th. That's when a lot of, well, how are we going to do this and make it happen? conversation is happening and then december 10th is when we finally vote the 10th is when we need the biggest showing like that's when that that's what shifts where people land i'm sure you've seen that in our voting um the pressure is kind of i've been there yeah the room gets very hot (laughs) pressure does build up in there yeah i'm not swayed i i stand where i stand (laughs) but i've um I, I just know that the, that's when it's really going to be important to get people to show up. So help me with that. For sure, for sure. And for everybody listening, um, to stay up to date, they can follow your Instagram. Yes. What's the? Uh, how can they find you on Instagram? It's Lopez the number four schools. Lopez for schools. Yeah, on and Instagram. I I really actually. Um, that's where all of the information goes out as far as what I'm doing. I share what we're doing with curriculum, um, but I also share just in general, like what the board is doing. It's a little bit about myself too. Like I have to keep that, I have to keep it real in that way. But um, that's like the easiest way for me to share information because families are on social media. They're on social media. Yeah. They are, so They are on it and they will comment on your post. And I can comment right back. Yeah, exactly. My friends have had jokes that um, they'll text me and I won't respond, but if you DM me, you'll get it right away. Yeah, so exactly. This is, yeah, this is definitely true. Um, well, I want to thank you, Gabriela, for being here. Again, another thank to Gabriela Lopez, school board commissioner, the youngest elected official in town for joining us at San Francisco in flux. Quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbeam. If you like what you hear, please, please hit that subscribe button. And thank you very much for listening to San Francisco Influx, a mission housing podcast. Joining me now is San Francisco Influx producer Julio Lara. Julio, thank you for joining me. Um, So Julio, you were listening to the conversation that me and Commissioner Lopez were having. Um, what are your thoughts? What you what'd you hear? I tell you what, time flew by. I mean, like when you sit in the producer's chair, it's a different sort of experience than when you're engaged in the conversation because when you're having it, 
Uh, obviously, time goes by pretty quick, especially if it's two people who know their stuff. They're going to be talking. Um, and as a producer, you kind of sit there and you wait for you know time to go by. But it, it's super engaging. Um, and kudos to her. I mean, she was she was on her game. I know that you guys are are friends outside of the pod, but regardless of that, she, you know she she was super prepared and she came she came with it. It was really interesting stuff. And like you guys mentioned at the end of it. I mean, there's still a lot of stuff. I'm just looking at your questions right now, your notes. You still have, uh, you know, material for what, another hour? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely another hour, right? I mean, we, I mean, we, if we got on teacher strikes across the U.S. and talked about teachers' unions and classroom size, that would have been our 30 minutes right there, 100%. I'm interested to see what my fiancé has to say. My fiance is uh, an assistant principal at a charter school. I know you guys had a charter school question in there. Um, shout out to Nat. So shout out to Natalie Garcia. Um, so be interested to share with her and see what she has to think. Because this is, again, um, similar, I guess we can call it similar boats. Uh, in that they're both um, Latinas, young, uh, been in the education game for a while mm-hmm. um, my fiance taught for what 11 11 12 years wow. uh, at different levels of school and now is assistant principal at a charter high school in Point Richmond California and you know you get to hear stuff over the over the dinner table every day and it sounds like it's similar issues everywhere it's not just uh, in San Francisco but wherever you go and uh, especially with the uh, with uh, the topic of segregation it's it's huge everywhere yeah this is true and it's you know we it's you know when when i was doing uh, some initial research for this it's something that you know it's it got brought up a few years ago you know i I didn't really know if anyone had tackled it um but it's like it's there were articles this year still talking about this Right. And, and, and there was still no, and, you know, I think there's, you know, as, as, as we heard, there still remains, no, they're talking about it, which is great, but there still remains no plan of action. Um, and that's, you know, it's a little concerning, right? And it's kind of been, but we're seeing this, like, not, I mean, it's not just here. It's actually happening all over the country where there is a rise in segregated school districts in, in America. Um, and what that means, why, how, how we got on this road. You know, pay with good intentions. Um, you know, uh, how we got on here? It's it's different in many different places. Um, but we're all we're all at a place where we need to really rethink how we fill the cl- the seats in the classrooms, um, especially in San Francisco, man. Like we got to hold this city to a higher standard. You know, we 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 got a lot of talk as we do, um, but you know, you kind of remove a lot of the veneer. We may not be as liberal and progressive and welcoming as um, uh, as 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 people we believe, right? And most especially towards people of color, low-income people of color, immigrants. Um, you know, I didn't get to tell her my Leonard R. Flynn story. Can you tell me? Yeah, uh, when I was a kid. They used to bus us on the corner of 25th in Alabama to then uh, Commodore Stockton High School. I mean, Commodore Stockton Elementary School over in Chinatown. Wow. Yeah. And so then, that's not close. That's not close at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Anyway, but on the bus rides, I remember very vividly part of our route uh, to school took us past Lauderdale Flint every single time. I mean, that was, you know, we were young. We were, what, five, six, seven, eight years old, whatever. So we don't know why the hell we weren't going there as opposed to driving all the way to Chinatown. <laughs> but every single time we would, we would drop by, we would, everyone on the bus, Started yelling Leonard R. Flynn, like chanting it, like if you were at a you know a soccer stadium or something. Like, Leonard R. Flynn, that I remember very very vividly. I don't know why they didn't just drop us off there. Is Flynn like the man you of of elementary schools when you were in elementary when you were? Uh, I don't know. Like I, I've been so I, I was you know taken out of the, like, the, the San Francisco system for it's a not while. Manchester City. I remember when I was a kid, I looked forward to the day I would go to uh, Horseman. I was like, I'm, uh, you know, I was just a kid, and I, I was like, I can't wait to go there. Um, I don't know where I would have ended up for high school. Although I remember by then we had moved over to Daly City with my family, and I was trying to lobby my mom really hard to let me take the test at Lowell because mm. my. My uh, middle school teachers had drilled it in me. My test scores were high enough, and I was a nerd to a certain point mm-hmm. where they're like, you should be applying to go yeah. to um, to Lowell High School as opposed to Lowell uh, Jefferson High, which is where I ended up going. Yeah, because you know Lowell is a public school that you actually have to apply to get into um, in San Francisco, public high school. And... Um, and I remember, I don't know, I, I think it was just, I was such a teacher's pet growing up too that I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to Jeff. Ended up being the smartest thing I ever did in my life just because, you know, I love my Jefferson friends and like my, my, my quote unquote legacy there, if you want to call it that. I thought you were going to say Big Fish, Small Pond. No, no, no. no I, mean, <laughs> I, was like, I don't know how I would have ended up uh, ferrying out and over at, at Lowell. Shout out to the, the Cardinals. I remember playing them baseball in high school one year. And I remember it being a, a game that I had a lot of fun in, but that was, you know, decades now ago. It's kind of weird. Like 2000, like 2021 will be 20 years away from high school. So, yeah, it's been it's been a minute. It has indeed been a minute. I just aged myself, which is another great thing I just did. It's okay, man. It's okay. Is this a podcast? Hey, happy birthday to you. Thank you. Yes, right? Well, did we rec- was your Yes, but your birthday was, was that Saturday. before? Saturday. So it was after we recorded episode one. Yes, it was after. Okay, perfect. It was so it's good timing. <laughs> great timing is there anything we left out from the interview that you know uh i mean from my end no i mean quite honestly you know you know we did have other subjects to talk about and the conversation did flow really well and we could have added you know another hour on tape um tape because you know this uh this podcast is recorded on tape <laughs> Um, if we were on Instagram Live or something like that, would be a different yeah. story. Uh, yeah, but, we'd, but, we'd, but, we'd, but we definitely could have gone on for a long time. You know, like it's like there's there's you know there 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 definitely is a national energy out there, right? Like teachers unions, teachers are banding together um, to demand equity, to demand smaller classroom sizes. I mean, really bring up issues that get brought up a lot. Right, that don't necessarily get addressed ever to the extent that they should be, you know. And so, like that, like that, that to me, and talking about the long-term fight for teacher equity, um, for small classroom sizes, and you know, even for like you know, there, 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 there's been some talk 
of like a student bill of rights that students shouldn't be in classrooms with 25 or more um, students to one teacher ratio that that students shouldn't have to be um, traveling hours two hours to to get to school uh, and th- this is this is k through 12 i'm talking about and i kind of want to get into that a little bit with her right you know there's there's definitely energy out there you know the chicago teachers union just just ended their strike recently um and you know like that like that's that's like the you know we have a lot of issues in the city how does it connect to the macro of of what's happening around the country and how can san francisco be a leader there right like how 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 can we as a city as a district as as people concerned with you know with with education with teachers really be the example especially right now when when we are in the midst of economic boom and we can afford to have small classroom sizes. We can afford to pay teachers enough money to be able to live in San Francisco and to build the housing for teachers um, at their price points. You know, we all have the we have the economy to do so, but we don't have the political will to do so. And getting to that issue and talking about that was something that I definitely. On the next run, when we have her back. Well, all that means that now is we definitely have to do the, the town hall now. We do. It's on, it's on the record. It's, it's on the record. Um, <laughs> you and me have been we working on that. We've been working to try to get that done for what? We do, for, it's been a while. It's been months. To be fair, you know, we work a couple of days on it and get really far. And then, then, then we get, yeah, then, then, you know, someone turns the power off for us. But second. you know what? It's all good because, you know. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. We'll and, get it's, it done. and it's going to be. Something done. It's going to be. Uh, quick plug, uh, Lopez for schools on Instagram. Uh, she does a really good job there keeping people informed. Um, the episode one of San Francisco Influx podcast is available. Um, again, a quick plug there, November 17th, uh, before we started recording today's episode, I was at a meeting about that. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a really emotional day too, I think. Uh, just sitting in that meeting, the people that are going to be there, and, and sort of what uh, you, you get a bigger um, sense of the emotional um, weight that that's going to have for the, the district on that day. Uh, so November seventeenth, we talk all about it. With, unveiling. Yeah, with Lucia Ipolito and Annalisa Escobedo. Who said hello, by the way. She was there at the meeting. Um, so it's a high we've hello back yeah we're listening so it's gonna be a lot of fun quick plug there check us out on um where are we we're on itunes we're on spotify we're also on Podbean, uh bean as in b-e-a-n and also on google play yes because when you pronounce it it makes it sound like it's a beam like a really like a pod bean pod bean 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 pod bean uh, yeah, thank you everyone for who's listened so far. Um, and this is a really good episode, I think. You're going to really like it. Excellent. Thank you for joining us on San Francisco Influx and Mission Housing Podcast. Mm-hmm.